Hello and welcome to the Podagogy Podcast, the podcast that aims to bridge the gap between teaching, coaching and all things pedagogy. This episode features Dr Poppy Gibson. Poppy was a primary teacher for over 10 years, has been a prison educator and is now a senior lecturer in education at Anglia Ruskin University. When we met, we spoke about the principles of primary education, neurodiversity, as well as mental health and well-being. Thanks for downloading and enjoy. Cool. Uh, Poppy, good morning. Thank you for joining me. Hi, morning. Um, so before we get going, I'm really interested just to hear a little bit more about yourself, really, um, kind of your your journey and your experiences, um, and then we'll kind of get into the topics for today. Okay, great. So, well, Dexter, as, as you might know from being on my Twitter, I was a teacher for over a decade. I, I always knew I wanted to be a primary school teacher. And I was one of those children that, you know, when I had cousins over or friends, they were always being the children in my classroom. And I had like an old textbook that I was dictating from. And I just always knew that education was my pathway. So I guess I'm quite lucky because I know we all come to teaching at different times in our lives, but I knew that I wanted to go to university, do a degree in primary education with qualified teacher status. So I had my first teaching job at 21, um, did that for 11 years, moved up into management. So I had a phase leader role. And then it just so happened that I was coming towards the end of my PhD in education and I'd been working supporting adults um, with Birkbeck College. I don't know if you know Birkbeck in London. And I just started to feel drawn to working with older learners, you know, very different to primary learners, which I loved and I absolutely loved being a teacher, but almost moving more into this kind of coaching role like supporting people that were coming back to education after having a family or after having a career and looking for a career change or one student I had she was in her 70s she just finally wanted degree like wanted to do something for herself um and so it just so happened I saw a job come up in lecturing in education went for it and got the job and the rest is history so I've been a lecturer now for four years just finishing my fourth year um, and working with adults, you know, 18 plus, 18 up to, like I say, 80. We shouldn't put an age on on learning, I don't think. No. Um, yeah, just absolutely love it. And mainly now I'm teaching primary school teachers. So I work at Anglia Ruskin with um, teacher trainees or students that are studying primary education. And yeah. most of them will go on to do teacher training. And it's just amazing. It's almost like the circle of life, like lying in style, like coming back to now share my knowledge and support these these new teachers is just so exciting. Oh, awesome. Fantastic. So I'd be really interested to hear a little bit more firstly about uh, primary teaching. Uh, that's a, an area that I have little to no experience of. Um, and I had Chloe Brown on the pod um, a few weeks ago. And she oh, yeah, the- I listened to that. It was brilliant. <laughs> she recommended I speak to a primary teacher. So I'm I'm, I'm really interested to get that. And I, my experience with, with that age group is, is in football. Um, and in football, we refer to that age range as the foundation phase. And for me, I love that. I love that phrase because I think it like it just encapsulates what it's all about for me from a football perspective in terms of like, the, you know, the, the, the first building blocks. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about your time in primary education kind of maybe what you've learned from that, maybe what um, the skills that are required and then maybe how it differs from working with then slightly older 
um, students? Yeah, definitely. So like I said, I was teaching for about 11 years. So I worked in a range of schools. I was working in mainstream schools. I also worked in a couple of independent or private schools, as you might call them. I even worked in a boys single sex school and I worked in a girls single sex school. So like the whole range of schools. Um, a few interesting things that I learned, I guess, I like that you called it the foundation stage. I think you realise how important it is to be supporting children even as young as four or you know even earlier although I worked with four to 11 year olds um and I know Carol Dweck's mindset is something we mm. talk about a lot isn't it having that growth mindset but yeah. it really makes you realize the importance of opening children to learning um one of my roles was as modern foreign language teacher so I speak a few languages and also just inspiring pupils and giving them like ambition and goals particularly mm. where you might have pupils who you know at home they have you know, generations of family that lived within a mile of each other and they've never even left the town they're in. Yeah. You know, trying to open up this global mindedness is, is something that I particularly love doing with children and make them realise there's a big wide world out there. And then thinking, how can we give them the skills to get out into that world, I guess? Yeah, I guess for them, it's their the primary school is their first experience of kind of formal teaching, if you like, and formal mm -hmm. education. So I guess it's really important to um kind of give that first good impression and when we, we say that in football as well about you know it's something like uh 0.005 percent of kids that start playing football will make it to the premier league so wow. so, it's, so it's important for that, that other 99 point whatever percent that they have a positive experience for like yeah. and it's about encouraging like lifelong love of the game so i guess from an education point of view it's about ensuring that um they they leave primary education with a, a lifelong love of learning and a yeah, positive experience really, of learning really similar yeah Dexter do you know that is the same because I guess some of these peoples are going to want to go on to college or mm. sixth form or university and some of them are going to want academic based roles but equally the other percent aren't going to do that and they're going you know they're going to look for roles where they might not be using maths on a daily mm. basis but you know they'll be using different skills and you're exactly right it's giving them this bigger rounded education this more holistic um kind of transferable education that's going to prepare them for a life in our modern society I guess yeah no definitely I mean what were some of maybe the biggest challenges though I mean we could talk about obviously you know the, the good stuff but what are maybe some of the bigger the biggest challenges people might look out for if they're considering a career in kind of primary education um oh I mean as with every job yeah. you're gonna have challenges and as you say teaching also is amazing isn't it it's one of yeah. the best jobs in the world regardless of who you're teaching or what you're teaching when you're helping inspire people it's amazing but I found sometimes the challenges come not from the learners themselves so actually when you're in the classroom with your 30 children or however many like those are the golden moments yeah. but sometimes the challenges come I think working with staff sometimes can be tricky um so I'll, I'll tell you a quick horror story. I remember when I was a newly qualified teacher, uh, we often obviously call them now like ECTs, early career teacher. Um, and I remember, so I was only, you know, 21 and I was brand new to the game and I had an amazing teacher, but this teacher had been teaching for decades and we used to meet on a Friday and discuss, because uh, we were teaching in the same year group. So we'd say, what can we, what jobs can we both do to prepare for the next week? 
And um, I would often be assigned the photocopying task. Mm. Um, you know, in those days, we didn't really think about the rainforest so much. So my job was photocopy all the sheets. So I would stay late on a Friday photocopying, you know, hundreds of worksheets for both our classes. Um, and I, this went on for a couple of terms. And then I just remember one Friday I'd stayed late um, photocopying and I went to put the work. I normally left it in the corridor for yeah. both of us to access. And I took it into my co-teacher's room and I thought, I don't want to leave it on the worktop because the cleaners will be coming. So I opened a cupboard and I just remember this moment. She had already done all her photocopying herself. The exact same things I photocopied and put them in there. Um, and I realized she doesn't trust me. She's worried I'm not going to photocopy properly. So she's actually done her own photocopying. And at that point, I just thought, you know what? It's taught me when you're part of a teaching team, you need to communicate. And I thought, what am I going to do? Am I going to face up alone and say, I found you're secretly photocopying double because you don't trust me? I mean, I, it sounds really petty now, doesn't it? No, but, <laughs> but it's the principle, isn't it? You want to feel, you want to feel yeah. trusted. Yeah, and when you're a new teacher, I think sometimes those are the challenges is finding how you're fitting into a busy school. So I guess the main thing that I learned at that point was, right, you need to communicate or you'll, you'll just be feeling, you know, bad about yourself. So um, sometimes I think the challenges come from working with others, regardless of your school size. So I guess my main tip is speak to those around you. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess the other challenges is workload, as you know, workload for primary teachers um can be chaotic so I think it's also finding that balance particularly mm -hmm. when you love the job as you know sometimes it's hard to switch off because you enjoy what you're doing and you want the best for your learners so I think sometimes the hard thing is switching off um so just making sure you do kind of fence off that time or fence mm -hmm. off your weekend and and I think yeah that's probably one of the hardest things that I found as a primary teacher Hmm. Um, what about maybe some of then the uh, the skills? So again, I, I can I can only talk on my experience from like from a football point of view. So we try and make everything um, like super engaging. Um, we try and make everything like a game, and that might be like being really silly with it. So we might be doing a practice where they've got to go and get a ball from one place and bring it back, which that sounds super boring. But suddenly, if I say uh, this home, this middle bit is the island, and everything else is the sea, and the defenders are that, and the defenders are sharks, and you've got to stay away from the sharks and go and get the treasure and bring it back or whatever. And, we, and suddenly we make it kind of like a bit silly and a bit engaging. Like yeah. you see the change. Is, is there anything like that from like a teaching point of view that you think is like really important, or any kind of examples you could give? Um, firstly, I just want to play that game. That sounds. No, I think you're right. I think that's what we need to do is look outside the box of the curriculum mm. and think, what are these transferable skills? So you're right. Looking how we can engage children equally, how we can look to engage them when we can't, you know, always be like sharks and islands. Like, mm. how can we still engage them in, you know, things that aren't so attractive? Mm -hmm. I think, though, probably one of the main things, even at university level, is encouraging group work. I yeah. think that is one of the hardest things in primary school is encouraging people to work together with each other. Obviously, yeah. you're going to have pupils that are more confident to speak out and some that find it tricky working in groups. Yeah. Um, but regardless of whatever job they go into, you're going to need to work with people at some point, presumably. So I think creating those social opportunities yeah. is one of the most valuable things we can do. So even as you're saying, you know, you've got teamwork and that bit of competition having healthy competition in the classroom as well is good because I found children where, you know, we've seen sports say where everyone gets a sticker, you know, it swings and roundabouts. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Everyone gets a sticker, but equally we do need to teach children that you're not always going to be picked. You won't always be first. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I think, yeah, the, these are hard lessons to learn. But as you say, if we sell them early in these foundation stages, mm -hmm. it will make it easier for children to bear it in the long run. Mm -hmm. This is a bit of a, a tangent here, so I'm sorry to drop this on you. But how do you feel that, the, you know, the last couple of years um, with, with the pandemic and whatnot has impacted the sector? Because I, I've got a friend um, with, a, with a daughter who is of primary school age and pre-pandemic loved it. Day one, gone, Did, didn't, didn't take a second look back at mum post kind of pandemic and a few other factors and things like that has changed a bit and socially is i won't say struggling but it definitely has changed it's definitely had an impact and have you seen or heard of anything similar or kind of um maybe considerations for the future now that that might have had oh definitely i mean firstly i'm sorry to hear about your friend's daughter i mean it's really tricky when you see your child struggling but i think you're right the main issue was the social aspect so we've seen, I mean, our children that have just finished year two mm. have never had a full year of school, which is crazy. It's yeah. about children that are seven, nearly eight years old, haven't had consistency. And one thing that the UK likes to pride itself on in education is like consistent format, isn't it? And following the curriculum. So I think that's been tricky, but I think the social part, definitely. We've seen a lot of children who then have been used to being at home, getting more adult attention, having to go back into the classroom, um, obviously haven't been developing the same skills as their peers at, at you know the same rate. We've got children struggling to hold pencils because that wasn't a priority for us in the pandemic. We were just trying to keep our children safe and mentally healthy. Um, but definitely the social side. And I actually know a few people just anecdotally for children with, um, you know, severe learning needs and diagnoses that actually are making the decision to continue homeschooling mm -hmm. um, rather than return their children to the education system, which is so drastic. And it kind of took the pandemic for some people to realise, actually, instead of fighting my child every morning to get them ready for school, maybe this isn't working for them. Um, so I think it, it also opened up a lot of parents and carers eyes to meeting their children's needs in a, a different way. But I mean, let's hope that going forward now, it's going to be yeah. smoother. Yeah, it's interesting that you make a comment about, you know, they, they never had a full school year. So I work in, in FE in, in post 16. So um, having a conversation as you do with a member of staff and just a throwaway comment about a group about them being a little bit immature or, or whatever. And um, when we thought about it, I says, well, what you got to remember is like the last time these guys had a proper school year, they were in year nine. Wow. So it, when you suddenly frame it like that and you realise they've not had um, their two years of GCSEs of um, needing to revise and manage and all these skills that are really important for FE in terms of, you know, being self, um, self-sufficient and managing your own time and being responsible for your own learning that would have happened during kind of year 10, 11, they just haven't had um, we we moved to a new spec as well um, with BTEC that now has some exams within it on, on the sports science pathway, which, which BTEC's mm. never traditionally had. Um, and it wasn't until their second year of college um, that some of these guys were sitting in an exam for the first time. Wow. Because oh. they, were in, they were in year 10 when the pandemic first hit. So they didn't, they didn't sit any mocks or anything. Uh, year 11, again, they didn't sit their GCSEs. They were, they were teacher assessed teacher assessed grades and evidence assessed grades and whatever else. And then their first year with us, when they, again, they would have sat some exams, the decision yeah. was made that they weren't going to sit the exams. They'd only sat some kind of classroom mock. So it wasn't until their their final year of what is, what is A-levels, um, you know, year 13, that they were sitting an exam for the for the very, very first time. And we were worried about how, obviously, the impact that was going to have. And I don't think sometimes we don't... It's, I think at times we've got to be careful that we don't use it as an excuse. 
you know, we don't use it. I think at times it can be used as an excuse for either poor behavior or, or other things. But we do definitely have to recognize that it's had an impact on young people at re um, really important times in their life, whether that's starting primary school, secondary yeah. school, preparing to go to university. These are all really key moments in young people's lives. Definitely. And actually, that's so interesting hearing about your FE experience, because obviously you're feeding into what I do now at university. And actually, I was talking with colleagues that we can see a difference in our, you know, current students and our cohorts from last year that are coming up, you know, having this experience over the past two years. Whereas before we used to say, right, get into groups, make a poster. Mm -hmm. We've, we're facing students that have been studying online remotely. And actually, this can be quite daunting and a little bit scary. So thinking, actually, we need to provide like, you know, more of this kind of mentoring role now rather than just the subject knowledge. Um, but uh, for example, we uh, Anglia Ruskin do a lot of two year degrees. So mm -hmm. students get a degree in just two years. And actually, we had our graduations um, a couple of weeks ago for some of our students and they were saying it's the it's the first time they've really been together because the, the past two years pretty much their degree <laughs> was in the pandemic so it was amazing like seeing them all together and they know each other from you know their little circle on microsoft teams or zoom <laughs> or whatever um so that's really crazy as well like we forget about how powerful like social support is. And I think you're right. This is what we need to be doing now more than ever, not just the, the subject, but making sure we're supporting the mental health side as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that seems like a, a good time to kind of to, to move into that. I know that you're really passionate about um, mental health and well-being. And as am I, I'm a, a mental health first aider in the organisation that, that I work Thank with you. in. Um, so I know that's something that we're both kind of um, kind of really, really passionate about. So it'd be interesting to hear your take on, if we look at it on two ways, um, staff and teachers and educators protecting and maintaining their own mental health and well-being and kind of advice you would give. Um, and then also how as, a, as an educator, we can then uh, protect and build the mental health and well-being of students. Um, well, first, I don't know if this is allowed, Dexter, but I'm going to name drop a book because there That's is this fine. great book coming out. I'm a little bit biased because I've, I've written a chapter in there with... Um, shameless plug, amazing, that's fine. <laughs> shameless plug. Um, my amazing ex-colleague, um, Professor Michael Green, mm -hmm. uh, we were invited to write a section on burnout and how okay. young teachers, you know, ECTs and NQTs can avoid burnout in their career. It's a really good book. Um, it's called Year One, Lighting the Path of Your First Year in Teaching. It's by Michael Charles and David Goodwin, both on Twitter. So please do follow them. Yep. Um, I think this book is coming at such a good time because again, we're facing students that have trained to be a teacher partly through the pandemic. Mm. Um, so they didn't get all their placements. So some degrees, you know, we organized for students to go into schools for blocks of six weeks. A lot of these placements didn't happen in the same way. We had to do like virtual classrooms um, for, for these trainees to learn. So um, I think that thinking about your own self is so important. You know, that famous quote that says you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. Is so, so true. And if you as a teacher, because you know from your role in football, mm -hmm. when you're stood up there and you've got 60 eyes on you, you need to perform and yeah. you need to, as you say, engage. I love that word you used earlier. Like you need to be engaging your learners. You need to be a hundred percent, regardless of how you're feeling, you need to give yeah. it your all because they're depending on you. Um, so I think avoiding burnout is key. So definitely look at that year one book, yeah. but don't forget how important you are. Like you need to remember that 
protect yourself first make sure you're feeling healthy and happy so you can be the best educator you mm. can be what about from a point of view then and i know you did again please correct me if i'm wrong but i believe you did some work with your thesis around um the impact of obviously things like social media um, and things like that which I, again i i work in in the sector uh, my, my partner also works in education so we have conversations around a lot of the issues that young people are facing as a result today are of social media and uh, i said to, to andrew when we when we spoke about somewhere like twitter being such a double-edged sword um yeah. I meet some amazing people on there, see some amazing resources, but other times it is a horrible place to be, a horrible, horrible place. And we hear about it all the time. So for, for our young people, I guess that's a real, that's a challenge that they're facing that 10, 15 years ago, if someone was, was being bullied at school, they went home and home was safe. But, but now they're not because you're just as contactable and at home as you are at school. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's really quite worrying and quite sad, isn't it, that our young people are in these spaces. So firstly, also thanks for <laughs> looking at what my thesis was about. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, and actually that was the main thing that came out for me because I was interviewing primary age girls. Mm -hmm. So they were aged between seven and eleven. So as you say, think what we were doing when we were seven and eleven, possibly playing out with your friends or sat at home watching cartoons. Uh, you know, I'm kind of generalizing and simplifying what childhood might have been for some of us, but certainly I wasn't worrying what someone was posting about me. I wasn't looking at TikToks. <laughs> so yeah. what I found was even, even at that age, and I wrote my thesis like a few years ago now, but we had children that that were so scared of FOMO. They were they were so worried about missing out that they still want to be going onto these social media platforms as young as seven, going on Instagram, you know, mm. seeing this very filtered view of what people look like and the lives they're living at seven is is really horrifying. And I was just asking them, you know, why does it matter to you? But you might have peer pressure of other people, you know, using these platforms and asking, oh, my gosh, you're not on Instagram. But for a seven-year-old, for me, that was quite troubling. And I just feel relieved that I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't have a phone and social media at that age. Right. But equally, that's why I think I'm so passionate thinking how we can support children now that are going to, many of them are going to be accessing this. And that mm -hmm. when you look at the stats, how many children have a phone and from what age, I think most children have a phone from age five or six. Um, I think I was 16. I don't know how you old were. Dexter, I, I can't have been any younger than that. I don't think, yeah, 14, 15, 16. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. So I think that's why I'm so interested how we can support them. And I know there are a lot of, you know, other great people out there promoting mental health and well-being. But back to Twitter, and I, thank you, I really enjoyed listening to your episode um, with Mr. T as well. I think you're right. Twitter is amazing. Like, I am here because of Twitter, like mm. talking to you. So there's definitely some some benefits. Yesterday, I met Dr. Ashley Morgan, a fellow lecturer um, in real life after communicating yeah. on Twitter for a while. And Finding people that you can connect with through Twitter is great because, you know, you're not meeting in real life first. It's almost like online dating, isn't it? Like academic dating. Find someone who shares your passions. I've had quite a lot of articles and little blog posts come out that I've written with people I met on Twitter. But if I had some advice for new teachers, though, I would say join. I would definitely say join Twitter or, you know, other platforms are available. But also be realistic because... I know I've got so many amazing teachers in my Twitter network, but I see, you know, these beautiful classrooms with the photographs of the laminated everything. Um, and then equally, you know, these photos look amazing. I often give them a like and you see lots of other people liking them. Firstly, don't think your classroom has to look like that. 
you are a different teacher to every other teacher. Your classroom is different. Your learners will be different. Um, but equally, I then saw, I was looking at the comments on this post, like a teacher had made this lovely classroom. I don't know if you saw this one, Dexter, like laminated the alphabet and everything. And then someone commenting, oh, don't laminate. What about the environment? Someone said, um, what about children who it's going to reflect the light in their eyes? You're making it less accessible. And I just thought, firstly, it's done, like it's laminated. <laughs> you know, is you saying that going to help that teacher's self-esteem after they've spent a lot of time doing this? Mm. So I think you also need to try and, you know, ignore the trolls. And I know that's easier said than done though, isn't it? I know I say it when, when someone even puts slightly disagreeing with me, I'm like heartbroken. <laughs> um, so I think sometimes also making sure you have that break from social media. And that was the thing I tried to encourage with children, like, um, for example, even with my own children saying, right, put your phone down. We're going to have, we're going to go out for the day. We're going to go to the beach. Um, phones are staying at home and I'll take a camera instead of my phone or I'll say, I'll bring my phone, but it's only for photos, things like that. So also being a good role model, whether you're a parent or a carer or a teacher, being a good role model for, for children is important too. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Wicked. Um, let's talk uh, neurodiversity. So I, I'd be interested to get your, your take on this. Again, this is something that I'm kind of happy to admit I have a, a lower understanding of in terms of maybe actually actually what it is. But um, I, I've got written here, and feel free to correct these or change these, looking at it through three lenses in terms of recognising, um, mm -hmm. managing and then supporting neurodiversity in, in the classroom. Um, I guess again, my understanding is that that's a complete spectrum. You know, it's I don't think it's necessarily any sort of, um, well, I guess any, any anything is neurodiversity, isn't it, I guess? Yeah, I guess neurodiversity is just the acceptance that our brains are different. Hmm. So I guess you're right, Dexter, everyone's brain is different. Yeah. <laughs> so if we are accepting that, then we're embracing neurodiversity. Um, but mainly in, the, in like the primary classroom or even FE and HE classrooms, um, neurodiversity is about understanding the variations of the human brain and kind of focusing in cognition I guess mm. um, thinking about ways that our learners might um, need different support in terms of their social needs um, in terms of their mood their behaviors um, and in terms of their, their learning as well so you're right managing that can sound overwhelming mm. but one thing that I know teachers do best is getting to know their learners so if you're doing that and you're finding out their strengths and weaknesses thinking that someone has the label of you know being neurodivergent is no different to supporting any of your learners so it doesn't need to feel overwhelming I guess <laughs> yeah yeah this is kind of what I was alluding to that I think if, if I drop the term neurodiversity I think immediately people might go to something like a, a, a diagnosis of being dyslexic or autism spectrum or whatever but every single student is pretty much neurodivergent from the one next to them in, in some way, shape or form, whether that's a medical diagnosis or not. So I guess just recognising and understanding that. Um, have you got any maybe uh, strategies um, or um, kind of thoughts or stories you're happy to share around kind of managing or supporting neurodiversity in the classroom? Yeah, definitely. So um so also I hear what you're saying that we're all different and I think then what is important to recognize is that are some of these diagnoses that will be found more frequently in your learners so what we can do is learn from the research on those for example ADHD um, people with autism and think what are strategies that are shown to work well that we can try 
obviously bearing in mind that not everyone responds to mm-hmm. proven strategies because that's part of the neurodiversity. Um, I think the main one, though, that I would say is about having um, a psychologically safe classroom. So one thing that really stood out to me when I was um, lecturing a couple of years ago, I had one student who had chronic back pain, so not a neurodiverse condition. Um, but she said to me, would you mind if in your seminars, because seminars are normally where we're sitting at desks, yeah. you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And she asked me, would you mind if um, I actually just stand up to do my writing or walk around the room? And I was like, of course. And I was like, wait a minute, just because that was so obvious that it was a physical problem, it was easy to support it. What we need to make sure is we're supporting these problems with our learning um, in the same way. So from that point, it made me think, wait a minute, just because we're now at university level with adult learners, we still need to be understanding that people might have different conditions and diagnoses that we need to support. Um, so if you have a classroom where you can remove those barriers, so back to, I know we mentioned Carol Dweck earlier, didn't mm-hmm. we, Dexter? Yeah. Around having a growth mindset. And one thing that she said in an interview was, it's more than just telling people to try harder. And I think that's what it means when we recognise neurodiverse conditions is that um, we can't just expect our learners to try harder. It's about adapting what we're doing and making sure that those barriers are coming down in our classroom. Um, one thing that I think is really important at primary level is thinking how we're encouraging communication. So if we think of a, if you just imagine a primary school, a lesson going on in your mind, imagine you looked on search engine images, classroom, you probably see the teacher at the front, some students sitting down, some with their hands up, like it's kind of a textbook picture of a classroom. I think what we need to think is not all pupils can put their hand up and they can't all communicate verbally. So one step to having a psychologically safe classroom is thinking that we can communicate in different ways using iPads, using those little speaker buttons you get, um, drawing how they're feeling, or using other adults in your classroom, deploying your teaching assistant who are so, so valuable to make sure that they're working with children one-to-one or in smaller groups to help them access their learning. No, awesome. Fantastic. That's, that's, that's really good insight. Cool. Um, so to finish off uh, i like to do a bit of a, a quick fire round so i kind of got some oh my gosh okay <laughs> short questions to to drop on you nothing too taxing hopefully but just, kind of just get your thoughts kind of off the bat so uh for you what would be your three fundamentals to successful teaching oh okay cool so going back to what i said earlier when that teacher was photocopying stuff i photocopied i would say number one is communicate like definitely speak to people you're working with, speak to your line manager um, or whoever's there to support you. Let them know how you're feeling, if you're struggling with anything. Um, secondly, I would say collaborate. And back to the conversation we had on Twitter, actually we can learn so much from other educators around us. Like ask to go and observe a lesson, ask to go and observe how someone does their playtime um, monitoring. You know, we can learn from each other and then also work together in knowledge sharing. So write a blog post with someone. If you've never written a blog, there's an amazing education model called Nexus um, and they accept blogs that they could publish on anything to do with primary education or education. Mm-hmm. Um, so collaborate and share. And my third one, um, back to what I said earlier, Dexter, about being a role model, I would say my third one would be keep learning. Mm-hmm. So... We talk a lot at university level about research-informed teaching. I would say do the same, whatever age you're teaching, read books that are coming out, read journal articles that are coming out, look at blogs. If you're someone who finds it hard to read, listen to podcasts like yours, 
and learn about new things that are being talked about, new strategies, um, and show that you are being that role model for your mm-hmm. own learners, that you are still a lifelong learner as well. Yeah. Don't be afraid to be the, the dumbest person in the room. That's yeah, I love that. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah, don't be afraid to ask questions and keep learning. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm just a, I'm a segue there. I rarely read um, books or resources whatever about football or about teaching. I like to like look elsewhere. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, I, a podcast I love is is a high performance podcast. I've not mm-hmm. really listened to many of the podcasts that have footballers or football managers or football coaches on because I live and breathe that every day. I want to hear something else. So I'll listen yeah. to the, the business entrepreneurs. I, I love um, Tracy Neville, who used to be the, the England netball coach. I'll, I'll listen to her and I've listened to that a couple of times. Uh, Aunt Middleton, um, people like that, and just try and get away from your day-to-day and, and learn from elsewhere I think can be really valuable as well yeah I love that I love that and that's it you know when teaching is your life make sure you've got those other outlets as well and those other passions and hobbies yeah I love that that sounds amazing yeah. uh what advice would you give knowing what you know now uh if I could take you back to speak to Poppy just starting out what <laughs> advice would you give to her oh I would say just be yourself so mm. don't compare yourself to other teachers you're at a different point on your teaching journey to everyone else. Um, just be yourself, do your best and take a break. And, and you'll be amazing. If you're connecting with your learners, getting to know them, respecting them, they will respect you. And don't worry about, you know, someone else's classroom next door with everything highly laminated. You know, as, as long as you're giving your learners what they need, just be yourself, be your authentic self. Mm-hmm. And that is the best role model you can be. Yeah, that's that, that's a thread that keeps coming up about being authentic. about. Mm-hmm. Because I said, I said again to Mister T, I said, kids aren't stupid. Kids will see through the. You know, <laughs> yeah. Or you've you've talked about performing, and it is a performance, but it's an authentic performance. It's being you. Definitely. And and the biggest experience I have with that is um, at the end of obviously the FE year, we have a bit of a graduation for the kids that are leaving and going off to whatever. Oh, and each each group um, said a few words about their their lead tutor they had had for the you know what is I guess like a, like a, like a form tutor they had for those couple of years and they each and then I made a a point of this in the in the subsequent kind of staff training when we were talking about you know what what we're good at and whatever um they all said very different things about everyone but it was all positive I said said, that's good because the kids recognize that we're all different and it's important that we're not you know so-and-so might be a fantastic teacher but I don't need to try and be like them I can still be a very good teacher being you and then I guess from a from a student and learner point of view, it's important that we are all different because then yeah. if we're saying how different all the students are, they all need a different a role model, I guess, or someone they can relate to. Um, yeah. not every student can relate yeah. to me, but they can relate to so and so. And that and that's really important, I think. So it's important that everyone's just authentic and you get like you say, you don't compare yourself to someone else. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure on that point, like, you know, if you ask other people that are in your year group when you're at school, like who's your favourite teacher, we all have different answers. Some of us like the strict teacher, some of us love the one that, you know, was there for you, just giving you moral support. So you're exactly right. We all respond well to different teachers. So don't try and be this perfect teacher that doesn't exist. Just be the best teacher you can be. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Wicked. Uh, and finally, um, you've, you've dropped a couple of names already that I'll definitely go in and check out. But if there's anyone specific you recommend that I try and speak to in the future or um, anyone on a certain kind of topic that you think has got some interesting things to say? 
So I actually have a really good person that I'm going to recommend to you. So hopefully he's going to be up for the challenge. Um, you'll find him on Twitter as Mr. Chrome. Um, mm-hmm. called Sam. Sam actually has got um, a blog on mentoring and coaching. And I know he does a lot of work um, in that field. And I think he would be excellent. He works in secondary school um, and he looks at how we can support our learners, support each other. So, yeah, hopefully I think Mr. Chrome is worth getting in touch with. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Thank you. Right, uh, Poppy, this has been great. Thank you for, for joining me today and giving me your Thank time. Thank you really so much. Appreciated. Um, and great some, talking to you. Yeah, no, I think there's definitely some great stuff in there I think people will find very, very useful. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for downloading this episode of Podagogy. You can find Poppy on Twitter at Poppy Gibson UK. Please keep posted for new episodes of the pod coming soon.